Okay, this week's parsha is a double parsha, double portion. It's parshas matos masse. Um, the, the parshas matos masse, two large parshios. In fact, if you count double parshios, double Torah portions, if you include them in your counting of how long parshas are, this will be definitely by a long, without any close second, will be your longest. Um, parsha. It's like 250 plus psukim combined. So no parsha gets even close. So um, on Chavez morning, you're going to be in shul. Hang on tight. You'll be there for a while. Hopefully you're listening. And um, it's going to be a long one. So let's try to touch upon a couple of things. We, like I said, we have a very long parsha. So there's a lot of things to talk about. But um, Let's talk about the beginning of the parsha. The beginning of the parsha starts off on page 900-901 in the blue earth scroll Chumash. And it says as follows. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Let's can jump right over to page 902-903, all the way in the bottom. So chapter 31, verse 1 and 2. God tells Moshe saying, Okay, the last line, Hashem told, spoke to Moses saying, Take vengeance for the children of Israel against the Midianites. Afterwards, you will be gathered unto your people. Okay, You will be gathered unto your people means uh, in a very uh, nice way that he will pass on. Moshe is told, being told or repeated God is repeating to him that he will pass on because we know that Moshe was punished from a couple of weeks ago. He was not going to be going to Israel, to the land of Israel. He was punished. And basically God is telling him, this is your last hurrah. This is your war. You're going to have a war. You're going to avenge um, the Midianites, what the Midianites did. And you're going to wage war against them. And then you will pass on. And then the Jewish people will go into the land of Israel Without you. What does Moshe do? Moshe um, very quickly um, gets together the entire Jewish people, um, puts together an army, and wages war, and we will discuss details about the war in a moment. I just want to focus for a second on a very interesting nikuda, a very interesting point, which comes up over here. Moshe is being told very clearly by Hashem, this war will be his last um, act, so to speak, on earth. I mean, not, maybe not um, technically his last act, but his last big moment in the world will be this thing. So Moshe um, was not told when he had to start the war, how long he should take. Um, um, yes, technically. Technically, for all those who can read that 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 uh, thing, that note. Um, so basically, the but oh, so it's fine. So I'll 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 bring in more context in a second about who the Midianites were and what happened, because I'm I'm skipping that now because I'm just want to focus on Moshe and Moshe does not dilly dally. He does not twiddle his thumbs. He goes straight to war. Hashem did not give him an expiration date of when he has to start this war, when he has to end it, when he has to... Hashem just told him to do the war. If he chose, had he chosen, 
He could have you know, hung around and waited a couple of years, extended his life, and then gone to war. Yet we see the 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 true tzaddik, the true righteous person that Moshe was, he understood that what Hashem wanted from him right now was to wage war. And therefore he went straight away with Zerizos, well, he, with zealousness, he went straight to, to, to start the war. Just as a, an interesting um, thing, obviously, again, he was holy, he was Moshe, but we don't get um, little memos from God. Um, we have a couple of weeks, a couple of months, or whatever, maybe. God doesn't, doesn't uh, get, live, let us live our lives like that. If, or after you do so-and-so, such-and-such act, then it will be over, right? Moshe was, Moshe, the holy Moshe, he lived on a very, very high level, and he was so close to Hashem, Hashem told him, this is your last, um, this is your last hurrah, and then it's going to be over. We see it goes both ways. That on the one hand, God and God trusted him um, perfectly. That God understood that even if he told Moshe that this would be his last thing, Moshe will still go with the proper attitude and proper mindset of doing the will of God, of doing the will of Hashem, without um, twisting things around. Right? Maybe he could have found excuses, like we all tend to do when we need to do things. We all find excuses. And the flip side is we see that Moshe, God trusted him, and and rightfully so. He listened and he and he and he did the the act and he followed through right away, and and that's the the basic um, idea over here. That Hashem is clearly dictating in the pasuk that Hashem told him this will be your last thing, and Afopikain even so, he 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 went right away and and went to work. Okay, so now let us get a little bit deeper into the details of the war. So how many of you remember in the last couple of weeks, and Steve, you weren't here, so I don't blame you, although you won't get any brownie points for missing, but you do get excuses. How many people remember what the Midianites did? We um, discussed this, I'll give you a hint, um, in the beginning of last week's Parsha, and in the end of two weeks ago, was Parsha. They did something very bad to the Jewish people. And, and now God is telling Moshe, now it's time to avenge what they did. They sent their women out to entice the men. There you go. There you go. Very good. So Leslie, beautiful. So they, they I'll get a little, little more background. What happened was Bilam was, was, was paid off. Was, was, sorry, not paid off. He was uh, hired. To curse the Jews so they could win over them in war. It didn't work. He didn't curse them. He blessed them. So Bilam says, my curses didn't work. I have a good idea. This idea is foolproof, okay? Here's the idea. You're going to cause the Jews to sin. And when the Jews sin, God is not in good terms with them. And God will let you win them in war. And that's what they did. They sent the woman on different stories, uh, exactly what happened. They, they had a, a, um, 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 sales ladies, whatever you, you would call them. Um, there was older sales ladies, younger sales ladies, not so pretty ones, pretty ones. And they got them to come inside. The tents, the whole story, the Medrash tells us. But to, 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 they, they tried convincing the Jews to buy 
um, different rugs and things like that. And then they brought them into the houses and then there was another person and then, and then the person inside enticed them. A whole story of exactly how they got really holy Jews to fall in a very low level. It wasn't just like bang, bang. It was a slippery slope. And again, that's two weeks ago, Parsha. We didn't really talk about it this year, but maybe one other time. Moral of the story is, the point is that they caused the Jews to sin with adultery. And then before the, the, the men sinned with adultery, they got them to, to, to serve the idol, the Balpar, the, the idol that they had. So they had adultery and idol worship. So they really, really messed up a lot of Jews. And there was a terrible plague. And we know how the plague ended with, with Pinchas. But there was a terrible plague. Thousands and thousands of Jews killed, got, got killed in the plague. And now it's time, God tells Moshe, Nikom Nikmas B'nai Yisrael, avenge the Midianites, avenge them. What they did to us, they caused the Jewish nation to sin, they caused a terrible plague, and avenge them and destroy them and kill them. So this is the, the background of the war. So what happens? Fast forward a couple of verses. And, and uh, they go to war, and they bring back from the war in, in verse, I'm just going to read it in English, in page 904, verse um, 9. So verse 9, the children of Israel took captive the women of Midian and their young children, and all their cattle and flocks and all their wealth they took as spoils. That's verse number 9, so chapter 31, verse 9. So. That's a very normal um, way of war. They, they killed the, the men at war and the women, children, and, 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 and uh, possessions they took captive as, as loot and captive. Okay. They come back and they, Moshe, they jump down to the bottom of the page, page 13. Aaron Akoin already passed on. So now his son, Elazar, is in charge. So Moshe and his nephew, Elazar, come out and they greet the, the army who's coming back from war. And let's jump to verse 14. Moses was angry with the commanders of the army, the officers of the thousands and the officers of the hundreds, the different ranking officers who came from the legion of the battle. He was angry. He got angry with them. Turn the page. Moshe said to them, did you let Every female live? Behold, it was they who caused the children of Israel by the word of Bilam to commit a betrayal against Hashem regarding with the, 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 the adultery and the idol worship. And the plague occurred because of them. So he starts screaming at them. He says, what's the matter with you guys? You completely missed the boat. The whole reason for this war was to avenge the woman mainly. Primarily the women. They were the ones who caused the enticed the Jews to sin. Obviously, the men weren't uh, innocent. They obviously were the ones who sent the women out. So the, the men got killed. But the women, what's going on here? And he starts screaming at them. What are you doing? Seems like a very, very valid uh, 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 complaint. And what happens? Um, they go and they kill all the women. And that's the end of the story. So he tells them to kill the women. Amazing, great. Solves all the issues, except something very interesting. Very, very interesting. In verse 21, 
it says like this: Vayomer Elazar Cohen Elanja Zava Elazar Cohen Elazar the the Cohen Gadol tells says to the men of the legion who came to battle, and he starts giving them. I'm not going to read the verses inside. He starts explaining to them all of the laws of koshering of koshering vessels, koshering utensils, koshering kalim, um, kitchen utensils, and things like that, of making them kosher, boiling water, and putting in the, under fire, different um. Um, ways of how to kosh or different things. In fact, this is actually where the Torah tells it us. This is where it's at, right here. Why? They brought in gold vessels, silver vessels, wooden utensils, all the different things from Midian. They were allowed to bring it back as as uh, spoils from the war, but they weren't kosher. There were non-Jewish people who used them. They weren't kosher. So the Torah right here, Elazar tells the Jewish people, all of the different laws. You have to dip it in the mikvah. You have to um, dip it. You have to immerse it in the mikvah. You have to all these different things. You have to if, if it was used for hot, you have to put it in the fire. And all these different things of how to make kalim kosher. Beautiful, wonderful. The question is the million dollar question is where did Moshe go? Moshe is always the one who tells over the laws, right? Vayidab Hashem. Hashem tells Moshe. Moshe tells. What happened to Moshe? Where did he go? What happened to Moshe? Why is Elazar doing this? Not a good question. Anyone have an answer? That's why I'm the rabbi. But uh, so so no, I'm joking. If anyone has has anything to say, I'm happy to hear. So perhaps, Rashi, oh yeah, go for it. Perhaps that perhaps that was that he only was allowed one thing, right? Going to war was this before? Was this before? Would he be overstepping his bounds and pushing Hashem by doing too much? Interesting. That's a very interesting point. I have to think about that much deeper. I'm not going to be able to to, to 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 answer. I don't know. It's interesting. I thought that it was a it was a reality more than a a a, a when Mo, when Hashem told Moshe that this will be your last um, action on earth. It, it didn't mean that he wasn't allowed to do anything else. Rather, Hashem was telling him the facts on the ground. This is what's going to happen. After this war, you're going to die. Now, again, like I said before, I don't mean, I didn't, I don't know if it was the day after, the week after, or, or the second after. It was soon after. And this was, 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 Definitely not the last thing he did, because we see later on he counted the people, and I would have to assume that there were certain laws that were given over, um, and all these different things that happened. But, but, but it's a good point. It's a very good point. And in case any of you, by the way, looking at the chumash and you say, "Well, I got myself through okay, a nice four fifths, but there's still a huge chunk left," what happened? How am, how am I telling you that this is his last day on earth? So as a, uh, as a piece of knowledge that some of you may know, and most of you probably don't know, is that the entire last book, the book of Devarim, the entire last book of the Torah, is comprised of basically repeating all of the laws and a lot of the stories. During the last day of Moshe's life, he repeated over, he reviewed everything. And in the last few chapters, there's, there's different uh, laws about going into Israel and, and a few other things, different 
poetic um, um, things that talk about the future or what's going to happen in the future. Um, but the whole last book has basically happened in one day. So it seems like a lot of material, but really most of it happened in one day. So just we have 10 more weeks until, until we read the, 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 the final parsha on Simcha's Torah. But it really all happened in one day. So it's a very interesting point. So if you ever wonder, like, why, how could, how could, how could Rabbi be telling me that it's the last day of his life or the last hurrah? It all happened in one day. Anyways, back to us. So, Linda, I like your answer. I have to think about it. But the Rashi, really, Rashi, the commentary, the famous commentary on the bottom of the Chumash, he asks my question. He says as, as follows. Verse 21. Um, Moshe Rabbeinu got angry. Says Rashi, since Moshe got angry, he forgot. He forgot the laws. He was supposed to say over the laws. God punished him, so to speak, and he forgot the law. The laws of koshering, of kashering Caleb. And his v'chein adamayt v'mishmim v'loim, and v'chein v'shemolah ha'merim v'yachazazah. And in two other places, we find that he got angry. And in right after those stories, those other stories that he got angry, he also forgot um, Allah. So we have three times Moshe got angry and each one of those times he forgot Allah. He forgot one of the, this time there's a real, um, there's just no mention of his name and Allah had to say it. And clearly Allah learned it from him because he was the one who got the, all the laws from Hashem. Moshe was the one who got all the laws from Hashem. He clearly taught it to Allah at some point. He forgot it. Jewish people come back, Allah had to teach it. So it was clearly a, a direct consequence of this. Rashi points that out. Obvious question, like we just, I think we just brought the question um, up very clearly, is what did he do wrong? We said before that it was a very valid reason for him to get upset. It was a very valid, rational reason for him to get angry. The people that he trusted so dearly so so um, perfectly to, to, to wage the war against the Midianites, they let him down and they did something completely just completely missed the whole point of the whole war. Of course he was entitled. It was a mitzvah probably. Presumably. They, they didn't uh, fulfill the word of Hashem. That's the question. I think that's a very, very clear crisp question. He presumably was doing the proper thing by getting upset. By getting angry at them, right? Okay. Well, does it ever? I'm sorry. Does it ever say exactly Moshe Rabbeinu's words to the people? I mean, how do we know that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't tell them to just go and kill the kill the Midianite soldiers? So I'm gonna read it. I'm going to read a few. Um, well, it, does, it, does, it does it. You don't need me to read it. You trust me. No, it does that. It does that. I'm sorry. I skipped that part because I didn't want to read all the verses inside. Okay. It definitely does that. Okay. But also, also, he got angry at the tribe of Manasseh because they wanted to stay. Um, 
They, they did, okay. he misinterpreted that they okay. wanted to stay if we have and time. that he thought they wouldn't be part of the part of the Jewish nation to help fight. So he got very angry with them because they wanted to stay. Their territory was on the other side of the Jordan. Right. That's yeah. Well, if we have time, we'll get to that. But um, I'm pretty confident we won't have time um, because it's already late. But <laughs> the, yeah, you're, you're bringing up another point, which is that. But it doesn't say in the verse that he got angry with them. Makubi does actually. I shouldn't say it doesn't say it. I don't think it says it. Um, uh, it doesn't say that he got angry with them. It just said that he misunderstood their intentions and he told them in very harsh words. He gave them musr. He gave them rebuke. How could you do that? And then he was wrong because they had righteous intentions. And that's a whole different discussion. Um, if you uh, come to my house Friday night for a meal, I'll be glad to share all that information with you. Okay. We're all right. up. Mimi, Leslie? Mimi, me. Leslie, ben, you can start walking. And our two grandkids, we're all coming. Hey, Leslie, you can start walking. I'm taking the train. <laughs> you're, little, you're, little guy, you're little guy. I'm taking the train. Make sure it doesn't break. <laughs> okay, so... Um, yeah, there's plenty to talk about. I'm just going to try to cover, finish this up because I wrote an email I'm going to talk about. the the Again, the three weeks. I want to bring it in again tonight. Um, so basically, many different of many different greats, the great Muslim leaders, many different um, rabbis say different detail, different uh, explanations to this, but they all basically say the same idea. I will say it with the style of Rav Chaim Shmulevitz, because we've mentioned Rav Chaim Shmulevitz so many times, and I think most of you are familiar with him, but it comes up in, in, in Rav Chaim Freelander and in, in Rav Tesler, many other of the great uh, Musa leaders, Musa rabbis, say the same general idea. But Rav Chaim Shmulevitz, the way he says it is as follows. He says, certain things in life are like a fire. Whether you like it or not, if you put your hand in a fire, even if it's to save a child, your hand is going to get burnt. If you, a firefighter is not wearing equipment or anyone, a neighbor, is runs into a burning house to save a, a person, whether he likes it or not, he has the greatest intention in the world. The reality is he will get burnt. Now, in, in heaven, in Shemayim, you will get the greatest reward. Says of Chaim Shlevitz, in this world, there are certain things that are like a fire. One of those things that are like a fire, he discusses this in other places as well, but over here he says, one of the things that are like a fire is anger. Anger is like a fire. The, the, the way nature works, God instilled, built into the nature that a fire burns. God instilled in the nature that anger burns. And it's funny because when I was preparing for the class, I dug up a picture. Someone later on told me that this picture is apparently a, a uh, movie character or something. I don't know. But the picture from the email, if anyone knows the picture, I was laughing. I was like, ha, oh, the guy has a fire in his head. Okay, great. So he fits right in line to my, right in line to my, my. Uh, I printed it out even. All those who want to see. It, print, it fits right in line to my uh, theme. Um, the fire. The, the, when the person gets angry, he loses any control 
of 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 his rational thinking. That's reality. That's in this world. Says of Chaim it goes the same way in spirituality. When Hashem sees someone gets angry, even if it's for the most righteous cause, the way it works in spirituality, the way it works in the spiritual world, and also it burns, it burns spiritually. It has an automatic effect on the spiritual makeup of a person. The person gets angry, the same way it burns the, the neurotransmitters or whatever. If you ask any uh, neurologist, they'll tell you all the different um, shebangs about exactly how it works in, in, in neuroscience. Um, but in spiritual world, it works the same way. A person gets angry, even if it's the most amazing, perfect, righteous cause. There's no such thing as not leaving um, residual damage. And that's what happened to Moshe. Yes, Moshe was perfectly right. He was a perfectly um, um, valid reason for him to get upset. But it didn't make a difference. Because the reality was that it, caused, it had an effect on him. And he forgot a law. He forgot something. And it, this is so important to remember. Sometimes we, we, we convince ourselves. In different stages in life, we have different uh, um, different nisyonos, um, uh, different tests. So again, we're all in different stages. But for let's say someone like me, right? We can, I can look at my child and again, I can tell my child in my head, like I'm going to be so upset and scream at the child and it's for my child's benefit. Now, let's assume that that's correct. Let's assume that it's for my child's benefit. Let's assume if whether that's true or not, it's a whole different story. But even if it is for the, my child's benefit, if I get angry at my child, it will have residual spiritual effect on my life, my being, on my spiritual being. It will lower my level of spirituality because that is the essence of anger, the essence of chaos and the essence of anger, it automatically causes something spiritual damage on, on my neshama, on my, on my life. And then obviously you can imagine if you go and, and think about the times where we get angry without any righteous intentions, or you think about the times where we pretended we had righteous intentions, or we had the anger came first. And all the excuses and all the reasonings came after why it really was good for us to get angry. Obviously, that's that's the, the lesson from the anger is so important to be careful about. And if you think that why that, did Hashem give us anger, the feeling of anger then? And can we think can we think in our heads that we're angry but not act on it? And does that do the same damage to our spirituality? It's very interesting because you bring up a very good point. There's two points. One point is why did Hashem do it? And since I am not God, nor am I an angel, I cannot answer that question. Um, it could be simply just to test us. God does a lot of things to test us. And if that's the only reason, that would be enough. But I cannot say for certain why. But the, the other thing you mentioned, a lot of the, the, the rabbis... Um, use uh, like a real, like an inverse of what you said. They say the opposite. If you want to get angry at your child, you feel like it's necessary to get angry at a child or a student or whatever it may be. He says, he says to do the opposite. He says, in your head, be completely, completely calm and have no anger at all and put on a show. Act on it. Pretend you're angry. But if the anger is real, you can't say anything because you're going to destroy it. You're going to destroy. Mm -hmm. Anger is a destruction tool. That's what a lot of the rabbis say. It's a little different than what you said, but basically 
same idea where we can separate our actions from our actual mindset of what we actually feel. Um, unless you think that this is only rabbi stuff, I, I dug up uh, some guy from from, from uh, LinkedIn, some uh, uh, I don't know whatever, some guy, um, some uh, um, business guy. And he explains basically the same idea that I, that that I'm just going to read it inside. There is a we can experience in today's world that people are suffering from anger related issues. Some people do harm. Um, to others and also themselves because of their out-of-control behavior. There's a need to control this behavior because it causes distance from society, distance from family, distance from friends. It can harm their reputation. At the moment, here's the, here's the point I wanted to bring. At the moment, when a person gets angry, for any situation, I have no idea who proofread this guy's thing, but the grammar is worse than mine. Or to, And I didn't go to English in high school, or towards any person that his, then his brain does not work logically. He can't or she can't calculate the repercussions caused by his actions. The main question I can't read it. I feel bad. I really thought I was able to read it. But the guy, basically he's saying, I guess he's not as uh, he's not as uh, uh, qualified as I thought he was. But he didn't say anything too drastic. The main point he was trying to bring out is that a person who gets angry loses all of his capabilities to do any rational, critical thinking. And you find this, it, it, hopefully none of us have this issue, for sure, hopefully, for definitely not on this level, but we find this on uh, road rage. You hear about this all the time. Road rage, people just get completely caught up in their emotions. We find this with when it comes to to people in, in shul sometimes, sadly, when a person gets um, his his uh, his covered, his honor gets um, 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 popped for whatever reason, um, gets angry at everyone in the shul and makes a complete uh, stink about silly things and really, really just destroys his reputation in five minutes. He can just ruin the whole... Like, everyone looks at the guy like, this guy's nuts. This guy's totally off his rockers. And like, Hello, what's going on? And sometimes it happens to our spouses or to our loved ones or whatever it may be. And it's not as drastic, but it's significantly more damaging because it's someone that we really deeply love and we lose complete control. We lose control over our rational thinking. And we do love the person. We do care about the person. But for those five minutes, we just completely become disconnected from reality and then to bandage up the damage that we cause from a moment of rage takes so much more like an ounce of what do they say an ounce of precaution is a pound of some i don't know I'm, i shouldn't say this if i don't know it but uh something along those lines right an ounce of caution or whatever is worth a pound of cure an ounce of prevention is a worth a pound of cure. And of cure. So again, uh, to give practical um, um, tips and advice, I'm not a social worker, but there's one famous story with one of the Bali Musa, one of the great Musa leaders, and this is again maybe maybe not the most practical um, way to do it, but <coughs> definitely gives us a, a idea of what we how to prevent anger. The main um, way anger takes over our life is when we get the big blow, big atom bomb, big explosion of rage, and then we act on it right away. 
the main antidote, the main way to avoid that is to be able to push off the reaction by whatever it is, a minute, two minutes, 30 seconds sometimes is all it takes. And there's a famous Muslim, one of the famous Muslim leaders used to have his jacket and his jacket was called his anger jacket. And the jacket was hanging in the corner, corner of his closet. And whenever he felt he needed to get angry with someone, if someone bothered him to get angry, I don't know if he ever did it or not. I don't know if he ever got angry, but the idea was he would have to walk all the way to his room and he was only allowed to get angry wearing his angry jacket. And he would go all the way to his room, take off his jacket, put on his angry jacket. And by the time he came back downstairs, he was able to control himself. And this is the idea. Someone else told me that that right, you go right. He says he always runs upstairs to his room, and if 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 he wants to get angry, he runs upstairs to the room and come back, comes back down. That's his his way to do it. But the idea basically is to say for thirty seconds, I'm not going to say anything, and then we'll see what happens. That's the best way, the easiest, simplest way to get avoid to avoid anger. I'm going to end off again. I feel bad. I wanted to talk about the the three weeks again. I wanted to discuss it at great lengths. Um, I definitely don't have time. A beautiful story, but um, either way, I'm gonna. I guess I'm gonna end up with this. The 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 Zohar, the Zohar, the great Kabbalistic work. The Zohar, all of our Kabbalah is derived from this Sefer Zohar. He says something very interesting about anger. Uh, he he wrote it in in Aramaic in the same language of the, as the Talmud as the Gemara. I'm I'm gonna read the translation. Adam Akoes, a person who gets angry. Oker mimenu as neshama halayona. His neshama gets uprooted. His high, higher neshama, whatever that means, gets uprooted from him. Uvim koma shora hasitra achar. And the satan, the the satan, we all know the satan is, comes and takes the, takes, takes the place of a part of his neshama. Zehu toref This means a person's like a trefa. I don't know. I don't even know what a trefa means in the literal definition of the word. We translate the word trefa as something that's not kosher. But a trefa literally means an animal that's missing a part of his body as a hole in a lung or or missing a leg or different like things like that. It renders it not kosher. And the basic premise of a trefa is actually what we're learning in the kola in the morning. So um, if anyone had, was curious, we're learning all these different laws. A trefa is some is an animal that cannot live throughout the year, cannot live through a, a year because of a, 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 a something that's missing in his body. Now, it doesn't mean that every sick animal is a trefa. Sometimes you have a sick animal that's just sick and then it's totally kosher. It's specifically an animal that's, that, that's going to die because it's missing a part of its body. The person, if an animal has a hole in in in, the, in its spleen or different things like that, all of these uh, all of these uh, animals are trefas. So the Zohar is saying that a person gets angry, a piece of his neshama gets taken away, gets gets pulled away from him, and the satan takes its place. And a person like that is like a trefa. It's like he's missing a part of his essence. He's missing a part of his spiritual being. A, a foreign god, so to speak, is taking over his, 
his neshama. If you think about it like that, how when we do every sin we do causes or directly connected to damage in the next world, but we in in in, in upstairs. But over here we see that when we when a person gets angry. And it does not say only if he gets angry for not good things. It's even like we said before, even if he gets angry for righteous things, even if he gets angry for proper things, things that you should get upset about. This is something that's going to take away a part of his neshama. It's going to take away, again, whatever that means. I don't live in the neshama world. I live in the in the in, in this world together with you guys. But the Zohar is telling us something very, very powerful and saying that we have to realize that even if it's for proper, righteous, amazing intentions, getting angry has automatic repercussions and it damages our soul so, so, so much. We should always remember that that also in general, the idea of, again, talking about the, des- the destruction of the temple and the three weeks and, and Tishavov coming up, um, one of the, the, the primary reasons why the Beis HaMikdash got destroyed was for Sinaschina, for um, 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 hatred toward man towards his friend. And, and one, of the, one, of the, one of the primary um, um, places where it comes out is when a person gets angry at, at his fellow friend. Obviously, there's other areas as well. When it comes to monetary law and neighbors and a host of different things, but one of the primary places where it really, really um, comes up is anger. A person gets angry at someone else, and this is the idea of something we could work on for at least to, to, to try to be better on for for to try to bring closer uh, Mashiach and hopefully the Ezra Hashem with God's help. We will be zeicha. We will merit to have the the base of Mikdash and to have the temple, and that the the, the Jewish people will be able to celebrate Tishrei of this year. That the ninth day of Av should be a a, a a day of rejoicing, a day of Simcha Yom instead of a fast day. Have a wonderful Amen. Shabbos, everyone.